There we go. Three, two, one. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one, four two, two zero. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's good, Podcastville? Happy generic time of day to you. Thank you to my sponsors, Blue Canary Auto and Sound Reaper Graphics in the Pavilion. Make sure that you follow along on all social media. And if you feel so inclined, buy your host a cup of coffee on Patreon. Today, I have the host of Fatim and Friends Podcast, which I've been enjoying quite a bit lately. Um, also, one of the co-creators of Beef Cake and Butterball, the Instagram cartoon, which I think is a crazy idea. We also have the man, the myth, the legend, Adam Tiller, the comedian. What's cracking, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to good to see you somewhat. I like your uh, your intro music and stuff, too. Did you make that yourself? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, dude. It, uh, it's always fun to see what people end up doing with that. We ours kind of evolved over time, but it's, it's always, uh, all the editing and stuff. It's a lot of work. Editing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> if a I lot could... of time and a lot of money. So it's, uh, it looks like you're doing a good job. You got sponsors. I love that. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, uh, if you'd like to sponsor this show, hit me up for sure. Oh, oh, me personally. No, okay. no, no, not you. Yeah, Adam. I mean, we do. We have our sponsors, so I could definitely give you a plug on on my end. Yeah, give me a shout out next time you're on the next show. Had a good time with the For bystander. Sure. Hey, so Adam. So wait, you're based out of Bremerton? No, Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge. Sorry, sorry. B-I yeah, for Bainbridge literally Island. Literally the name of the show. Bystander. <laughs> on beautiful Bainbridge Island. Thanks for listening to the ad. This jackal here. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you're out in um, Everett holding down the comedy scene, correct? Is there a As comedy scene one, in Everett? No, man. It's it's. I mean, we do have a couple fun rooms in Everett. I run a weekly show at Tony V's Garage. So if anybody listening is uh, in that area, it's Monday nights at eight o'clock, and it's just open mic, and we do a showcase at the end for a feature comic. But it's. It's uh, mainly driving all over the state to do comedy wherever I can. Yeah, you just got off a little mini run here at the end of December that I want to talk about. Um, 
you also hit up Tacoma Comedy Club, which is probably, uh, I guess, the standard now that uh, Comedy Underground in Pioneer Square is out of business, yeah? Wasn't there a, a Comedy Underground in Tacoma at one point, too? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, um, there's, dude, it's crazy. I was just talking to somebody about this. I Before I got into stand-up, I had no idea how much comics drive. I mean, yeah. there are people going from Olympia to Everett on a nightly basis. And it's just considered normal like that before doing comedy. I didn't drive anywhere. I was just always at home. Like it was never, <laughs> I w- <laughs> that would be so standoffish to me. Yeah. It's tough here on the Island too. Cause we don't have much of a comedy scene and uh, I want to go take in comedy, but I live on an Island, you know? So getting out and getting in a car and taking off the Island, that's a whole project you know but uh, you guys do have good spaces though i did the competition out there yeah seattle uh, comedy festival yeah international comedy competition and it was it was a lot of fun we did a a movie theater out there and great audience i mean really uh i i want to do bainbridge more i i just did bremerton that's why i mentioned it i did a remedy speakeasy and it's fun to go to those places where crowds don't get stand up as much. Yeah, we definitely don't get it. We get it once a year with the festival, basically. Yeah, it's it's definitely you guys are like starved for comedy, but then there's also like the craft of it where you guys aren't trained as much. So you don't know what like how everybody has their own idea of what stand up is and they go into the room. So Sometimes like you're doing stuff on stage and like the audience pushes back in ways that they wouldn't necessarily in major cities. So mm-hmm. there's sort of a, a learning curve with all that. Yeah. And you kind of are in this, in the same, uh, small circle of comedians that I know as well with, uh, Aaron Ingalls and Chris Mejia, Bo Scout Johnson and Todd Royce. Yeah. Bo, Bo is becoming quite seasoned and, uh, good at what he's doing that's for sure oh yeah Bo is uh he's working (laughs) like he he definitely he has had a lot of success on social media and and the thing about him too is that guy is one of the nicest people i've ever met yeah he's super sweet literally has done so much for people locally and anybody coming through town and him and chris actually just ran a show at the neptune uh, their their good comedy show, which I did, and I mean they they packed out the Neptune Theater for an indie show. That is that so produced, cool. so cool. Yeah, and they yeah, and to- they just they really are pretty savvy in terms of producing and what they need to do and including as many people. I mean it's it's not easy navigating the politics of uh, comedy in Washington State. Like that was probably the biggest learning curve for me. Is like political correctness and and who's who and i mean there's so much that you have to learn so quickly too Mm -hmm. yeah chris and bo have done a great job together and they kind of complement each other bo was actually on uh some kevin hart show recently i saw him kevin hart was the heart of the city something like that yeah and he was interviewing bo and i was just and bo was making him laugh yeah he was i think he was talking about doing comedy in a uh, arcade like a and when he was bombing like 
all the arcade games were making noises in the background, <laughs> if I recall properly. But it's yeah, dude, this stuff is uh, it's pretty humbling. Like my my background before doing comedy, like I had no performance arts background, and I was just a fan of stand up. Like I I had no real concept besides going to live shows, and I think most people before they do stand up, they don't either. It's such a strange thing. Same with podcasting. I'm sure you know. Yeah, I don't don't understand what what drew me and what keeps me here. And you know, it's so hard to be motivated to continue to do it too, because you take a financial loss for the majority of the time. And uh, I guess it comes down to having empathy for others and wanting to learn about their stories and their backgrounds, and setting aside time to become a better communicator, so you're a better communicator in other aspects of your life. Or you just like you're a glutton for punishment, right? Like that, you just that too. Like, abusing yourself, I guess. I got in a lot of fights when I was a kid, and I never won any of them. So I'm yeah. definitely gluttonous. Yeah, and at least it's that like a uh, trained, uh, whatever you trained to lose. <laughs> trained to lose. I mean, dude, I I don't think I would podcast if I didn't do stand up. It's yes. such a humbling thing to because you. At least with stand-up, I write a joke and I get to go, like, see the reaction of it. You just get the selective feedback that people choose to give you on the internet. Yeah, if they give you feedback at all. And most of the time, it's kind of mean. <laughs> it's not, they're not, like, they're not reaching out to be like, hey, this was fantastic. They're like, why do you keep saying um all the time? Right. Edit that out. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, I don't have six hours. Um. What made you want to uh, stand next to a stool with a glass of water and a microphone and go broke? I think I just, I love stand-up. Uh, probably similar to how you are, like, just, like, love the art form. Love it. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts, comedy podcasts, and I didn't even know that there was stand-up in this region. I thought you had to go to LA or, or New York to even do stand up. I didn't know how you start doing it. And I, Corey Michaelis is a local comic. I mean, he, he's tours nationally, but like locally, he teaches comedy classes. And there was, I mean, there still is big like taboo around comedy classes, but mm -hmm. I took it. I think I'm the only one that took it and is still doing it that was class? in my class you're still doing the class no no i <laughs> i i think i graduated from the comedy class uh, but, so i took one over covid and uh i realized you have to write and i'm I oh, was, yeah. like tapped out you know and then you have to form the you know we we all took it we were all on zoom right and one of our assignments was to tell a joke in front of the whole zoom audience you know about 30 inspiring comedians and i was like i'm gonna nail this and uh i don't even remember the joke and i thought i was so funny and i was gonna get some laughs and i did and then the next guy went up and just crushed my joke made it like so forgettable that nobody's gonna remember it and then it just continued to progress the next comedian the next writer Everybody was just slaying it, you know, and uh, my eager hand went up first and I was like, ah, I got a joke. I got a joke. This is going to crush. We're going to start this off right. 
I was humbled immediately. Yeah. I mean, I do think stand up or just comedy in general, the ego piece is really complicated. Ego is a horrible driver. Well, you need enough ego to be dumb enough to go up there. Amen. You're funny, but you need to understand like who's better than you and who you're better than. Not that like, that's really the determining, like it's helpful to see like where your growth is, mm-hmm. but yeah, dude, you're probably not that funny. Like I, I, yeah. I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's just like, it's to make a room full of people objectively laugh is a craft and a, a mm-hmm. skill. And like, you don't learn it by not doing it. Like painters paint. That's why they get, get good at painting. So like, unless you're Michael Jordan, and I mean, he even practiced a bunch, but the Michael Jordan of comedy, like you're not going to come in and be able to do this thing that looks effortless. And there's a reason why these people get paid the money they do. It's, it's a job like it. And I think it's so blurry when it's just somebody standing up there with a microphone. It's so accessible that you're like, anybody could do this or whatever. Like, anybody could do magic too. But like, there's yeah. a reason why magicians get paid a lot of money to do those big shows. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat similar to podcasting too. You, you got to be brave enough to get up there and you have to fall. And I think I remember hearing you on one of your interviews saying that it would be hard pressed for you to go back and listen to your early podcast. And yeah, I feel the same way. And I think we're kind of similar in how long we've been doing this. I don't know how long you've been doing it. I've been doing it about five years now or definitely five mm-hmm. years and about 150 plus episodes. And you're right about the same, same area. But see, the thing that you got going for you is you're selling other things like your cartoon and your events and your standup. I'm just sitting here talking to people for no damn reason. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a reason. I I tend to try to be optimistic with a lot of this stuff and look at it from a place of, you know, you're you're gaining through the process. So whatever this episode is for you, 150, it's so much better than episode 15. Yeah. I say those things where I'm like, oh, I could look back. I, I couldn't look back and listen. But that's the growth right there. It's the same way with stand-up. Like, I can't do it. The first set I ever taped, I the microphone was down at my waist. Like, I was so nervous that I couldn't even get my jokes out. And now, like, if I'm not on stage every night, I freak out. I mean, it's been, like, three days since I've been on stage. I'm just, like, losing my mind right now. Well, so... You can do a set right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No audience. With, with yeah. Just your, the, for the audience listening, by the way, I don't, I can't see your face right now. I just have a picture of you drinking coffee. So I don't know if I'm bombing or killing this interview. Uh, well, let's check with the audience. Yeah. It, wait, is it live stream right now? <laughs> Crickets. I'm just messing with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you some proper proper love. Yeah. Well, it uh it just that growth like it's important to look back on that and like maybe there's not a monetary value to it, but creatively there is for sure. Yeah. And I've always been a creator. I've always wanted to mess with things and do some type of art. 
whether it be painting or or graphic arts or foundry or welding or wood shop or something I want to make things and right now I'm I'm hopefully making something that's tolerable and uh, worth listening to and introducing cool people to um, other people that may not have the opportunity to come across you and I, I think you do great stuff um, I love that you're um, you do crowd work too I think that's very brave well, it's just like what you just said is super important. And I, I got an episode dropping t- or on, on Monday with this guy named Dylan Fout. And he is the creator of uh, the website, The Place for Things. It was a hip hop blog in the Northwest. And he worked with Travis Thompson and uh, the rapper Soul and a bunch of other Pacific Northwest people, but like he's a videographer and filmmaker, and like literally his motto is keep making things. Mm-hmm. And what he means by that is that like you don't get to the better stuff by not doing it. Like you have to go through bad stuff to get like there's so much bad art out there. <laughs> there's so much of it. It's the majority of art is bad. So in order to get to that, like 5%, you have to go through the 95. And that's what I, I had like some influences early on that helped me with that. And so, yeah, there there were a ton of episodes where, I mean, this probably isn't even that funny, but understanding that stuff is, I mean, I continue to work on it and it's just this constant, like two steps forward, one step back. And like, I don't know you like you mentioned the crowd work thing like dude I was so mean when I started doing comedy like I I was defensive and like reactive to people in the crowd and I would lose audiences because of that and I realized like oh like if I take a beat and like am empathetic and like a lot of times when you see like crowd work videos of comics on online they're like being complete assholes to the audience and that's not funny to me like it's it's uh like i get it that like you you gotta like control like you control the herd in a way because you're driving everything but it doesn't just because somebody is drunk and like makes a comment doesn't mean they're a terrible person like they're drunk at a comedy show Mm -hmm. and like having that perspective i that was just like learning from sitting in the back of the room and watching like comics like Ian Bag or like just great like there's a big difference between a great crowd work comic and then a comic doing crowd work. Absolutely. Like, and there's there's a lot of comics that go out there and uh they'll like they have their preset crowd work. So mm-hmm. they'll go and ask a specific a person question. In the audience a question that they've asked a hundred different audiences before. And really, like what they do is they ask that question and then turn it back in to what they want to tell a joke about. That's not crowd work. That's like the illusion of having a conversation for a second. And it's, I'm getting, I'm sounding like such a douchebag right now, but it's, it's, there's a difference there. Like a good crowd work comic, you know, I, I have never seen anybody better than Ian Bag in person, but, there's a looseness to it and like a like there you're on a wire you know and like you're really putting yourself out there and if there there's consistent failure with it and being okay with that failure just like in any conversation 
like you you tell jokes conversationally and I tell jokes conversationally that bomb and then you just move past it and go on to the next thing you don't like cry about it you know yeah well a little bit <laughs> hey um what got you up for the first time and what was the deciding factor what was your tipping point major depression nice yeah like I I actually was you need some attention <laughs> no I mean I dude I still don't really I've always considered myself more of a writer than a like performer and I had this major breakup and some life changes and I had signed up for that class probably the same one you did and I I was terrified of it mm-hmm. and I was so emotionally screwed up by it by this like breakup and stuff that I was like crying in my apartment and I finally was like you know what I'm going to the comedy class and like <laughs> wiped my tears and went to this class. I was the saddest person there. Nobody went to that comedy class crying prior to the class. Like it's <laughs> such a ridiculous in hindsight, but like I was pretty, I, I think most real comics have uh, their emotional people. They're, they're complicated people. And that's why most normal people don't stick with stand up because you have to be wired differently to like it's a terrible lifestyle dude it's the worst yeah i would mess up my uh fasting and my circadian rhythm and all that good stuff plus i'm old now it's hard to stay up past 11:30 dude you try driving from like spokane across the pass at 2:30 in the morning and like no chance. You, you either like pick up the worst habits with drinking or smoking or I mean, there's the food's it's gotta a, be horrible. It's, it's the food's bad. I <laughs> the money's bad, the travel's long. Well, you're coming I, from Everett it, and you were you you go out to Tacoma quite a bit. I I go to Tacoma as well for my son's soccer and uh that's that's a trek from Everett to Tacoma because we've had to go you know, do double header from Tacoma out to Everett or Bellingham and stuff. And I can't stand those drives. Dude, during the pandemic, there was like, there were like half dip, different counties had different rules and yeah. rules or whatever. Tacoma was the only place to do stand up in this region. And so I would drive on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, every Tuesday, Wednesday down to Tacoma to do like their open mic for I think it was like three or four minutes Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know if I was on the list most of the time thank god like the guy that books it uh recognized what I was doing but like yeah I was driving two hours at least one like three hours total to do three minutes twice a week Mm -hmm. just because I am obsessed with this thing so it's you can't be no rational person would like I'm gonna lose money to go do this thing that I'm definitely not getting paid for. And in that circumstance and it's yeah, just insane. But if you do comedy, if you love stand up, you get it. But so I don't tell me how it turned out at the R and R lounge. Oh, R and R. I wish you had come dude. I wanted to I just got, I have some family in. Um, yeah. I wanted to come so bad. Because and and then I wanted to see you with Hans Kim too, but uh, how was the lounge there? R and R. Does the audience know what that is? 
uh, railroad. Just like what that actual venue is. Oh, uh, our audience? No, it's a hole-in-the-wall dive bar on River Road in Puyallup that is uh, close to my son's soccer fields that I've mistakenly gone in and uh, won't ever go back. And (laughs) and then I heard Adam was going to go there, and I rung him up and said, hey, you need to fire your manager immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm eager to hear um, how that fly-ridden smoke filled dart room went for you dude that's that's uh did anybody laugh (laughs) it's a real like that's kind of the real life of of fucking doing road comedy i mean i got there and this fellow comic jess everett was uh pulling like walking in as i pulled in and i was like man just rolled down my window i'm like this doesn't look great and you sang to me ahead of time, like, why are you doing stand up there? <laughs> like, I I was a little primed for it. It was all in your head. And I just, like, I went, I knew what I was getting into. Um, I think three different times when I was on stage, this old lady at the bar called me queer, like, screamed queer at me. Um, that sounds which, right. <laughs> Typical. Yeah, no, it's just like full tweaker bar. Um, two or three of the people had really bad sets, and it, it just got as soon as I went up there, I was like, "Yeah, so they're not interested in hearing jokes." So I just talked shit for thirty minutes, and like I had a blast. You did thirty think, minutes there. Yeah. Wow. That was what I like was booked to do, and dude, I had so much fun. Like I, <laughs> I, I've moved around a lot growing up. And I think I lived in 10 states by the time I got to Washington. So I just like, I went in and I was like, oh, this is what this is. Like, I don't need to take anything they say personally. Like, they're here to talk shit. Just talk shit back to them. And, and like, they weren't interested in hearing. Like, when I got up, the table of people that was there to watch the show collectively got all up to leave. <laughs> I'm like, I literally looked at him. I was like, where are you guys going? Like, I need you. Like, this was, you were the only ones left. And I mean, I just, I tried to have as much fun with it as possible. And like, dude, they were, there was a group of people at the bar that were watching and they ended up coming closer, uh, ended up like, like drawing them in. And at the end of the show, like one dude tipped me a hundred bucks and then a couple people bought some merch and like, yeah, it, it went from like a, a terrible show to like a dope night and Phil Klinger, the guy that books that room, like he, he hooked it up. So shout out to Phil and shout out to Aaron. Like I would do it again. I'm not a lot. Like I, I would probably, um, I think the show was a little long for what that was. Mm-hmm. But besides that, man, it was just like talk some shit for 30 minutes. Like what, what, when there's a, a whole room full of people that aren't listening to you, you can't go up there and like, oh, these are my precious jokes. Like you're you're now in like a bar fight. So you gotta treat it the room dictates what you can and can't do. How'd you get hooked up with Hans Kim? Hans <laughs> It's He's- so funny with Hans, man. Like I he he literally just sent me a video of uh 
like they refer to it as the greatest moment in Seattle comedy, uh, where this guy pulled his dick out on stage and got tackled and like banned from the venue. But Hans was around Seattle during that time. He he's a long time Seattle, Washington comic, and he ended up going to New York, living in a van and then coming back uh, during the pandemic. And like I met Hans at this random like writing workshop uh, during the pandemic. And it was, it was just like the strangest human being I think I had met in comedy yet, like a guy living in a van, zero regard for money or success or any, like he just wanted to like sort of be free. And I mean, he ended up going where comedy was during the pandemic, went to LA, went to uh, Austin, got spotted by kill Tony. And like, he did the work too. Like it was, uh, that dude, got on stage wherever he could even like most of the time people didn't like something that a lot of people don't know about Hans like prior to his success is like there were a lot of people around here that treated that dude really poorly <laughs> and uh he just didn't give a shit like he you, you either like him or you don't and he doesn't really give a shit but he he's like helped a lot of people and he's fucking funny like yeah he's got jokes um right it's a new, yeah. new minute every week for kill tony um and tony hinchcliffe is one, probably the premier writer when it comes to roast battle and stuff like that uh, roasting celebrities and, and such and now hans is opening up for joe rogan and tony on the road and he's a regular with david lucas on kill tony and kill tony is a podcast where comedians get drawn out from a bucket and they have to do a minute and then they do a short interview from there and Hans got drawn from the bucket, and then he got a real comedy gig, you know, full time from continued success there on that show. And a few comics have done that, including uh, our boy Todd Royce, the golden ticket winner. He was hella funny going against uh, Tony because at, at the end of the interview, there's usually just a back and forth uh, crowd work roasting type thing. And Todd moved actually. He's down in Vegas now. Wow. So he uh he just put up an announcement like saying that like a bunch of people from his work got laid off. So he's like doing the road wherever he can. So anybody listening, go check out Todd if he's in your area. Love that dude. He's funny. He's he's good people too. Like he mm -hmm. he actually like treats dude, there's a lot of uh shitty behavior in entertainment mm -hmm. and when you meet people that are that way like that are they're solid it's like it's great and you mentioned like kill tony and stuff i do want to say i i guess throughout like this whole journey there's uh there's an issue with this space where really talented people don't get the spotlight on them and things like kill Tony, like they're, they're well known now for the most part in comedy, but there's so many great comics and a lot of them are in New York, um, undiscovered. And so like, don't always assume like, because this person is on this screen or, or on this podcast or whatever, like 
they're super funny. <laughs> like they're there's there's people that like literally make their like Mark Norman was this guy, uh, like worked for years in the clubs in New York and like hadn't gotten any exposure whatsoever. Now he's huge. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe List is another one of those people. Like there's there's ton I mean there are comics that I I definitely have never heard of, but they're incredible stand-up comedians and they just don't get the exposure and so these platforms can be kind of misleading at times where like because that person's on it they're funny but like some of the funniest people you will never hear of because they don't get that same opportunity and um it's kind of like the benefits and the drawbacks of media in this space mm -hmm. i don't know why i, would, I just I want to make sure people know that like just because somebody's on a pod like right now some somebody's probably like this guy's not that funny they might be right you know like they're, they're just <laughs> well we're having a conversation not telling jokes too yeah but i mean seattle has had good comedians come out of here um josh wolf joey diaz joe coy you know um chappelle when he took that leave he was down uh, uh on a milk crate in the Park there at Pike Place Market, just telling jokes like he really, yeah, incognito. He was down there for that. a few days, just testing stuff out while everybody thought he was in Africa and stuff. Yeah, he was. I had no idea about that down here. So there, there is, you know, a, a history or a legacy of comedians starting out small. You know, Hans Kim and uh, Ja Tai up there on Broadway, hanging out in that room and. uh Finally making it. But I mean, what that tipping point is, I think Malcolm Gladwell said, you know, we cannot understand the tipping point, when it's going to happen, why it's going to happen, what drives it. It just organically happens for something. And then fi we figure it out afterwards. Yeah. It's also tricky, too, because like once that tip happens in this space, you better be you ready be able to fill those shoes and. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't have 45 minutes of material. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it takes 10 years to generate your first hour wow. just because you're kind of learning how to do comedy, how to write it, how to perform it. And it, I mean, it's, you would think like, oh, that's, that's insane. But yeah, there's, it, it takes a really long time to build an act. And there's a lot of people that go out on the road that don't really have one either you know like i some of the people that you, you mentioned like i i've heard you know the opposite in terms of what they're delivering on stage like just because you're a good podcast personality doesn't mean you're a good stand-up like those are two different things some of the skills lend themselves each way but yeah good stand-ups do stand up and they do it a lot it's a skill it's a craft like you have to be on stage every night. You got to love it. You got to be writing like, and just cause you can say some ridiculous shit on a podcast doesn't mean that that translates to making 200 strangers laugh. And it's also different when you have your own audience too. Like you can crush in a room for 200 people that you're basically making a personal appearance for. Like those are, those are like, it's it's sort of like playing a home game and an away game in sports. Like if you're a no name headlining comic and you can go crush in a room full of like a hundred people, like Caitlin Palufo is a comic you should check out. She uh 
She's from New York. She's done a bunch of late night appearances. I saw Caitlin maybe three or four years ago, and she's been described as like the Dane cook, like the female Dane cook. Like she is the hour that she can do on stage is incredible. And she was doing that hour for people that had never seen her before. So she's winning them over crushing, uh, continuing to crush. And then like building a fan base through that. That's such a different skill set than I know this person from this podcast. I'm going to go see them and they're going to reaffirm my pre-existing beliefs. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or is it? Yeah. Confirmation bias there. Um, yeah. Tell me about these two guys going to the gym and <laughs> having their quest to conquer the gym fears in uh, beefcake and butterball. How did that start? Do you draw it or does your partner draw it or you just um, write the jokes for the cartoon? How'd that evolve? I find it interesting. Yeah, the adventures of beefcake and butterball. Um, God, it's, it's been, I started all that at the same time as the pod. So it's been four years or something. And, we're actually going to end it at episode 100 and kind of table it. But the guy that drew it is uh, Chase Moore, graphic designer and an artist. And I wanted, you know, similar to what you were talking about, just like getting my jokes out. Mm-hmm. I want to like get material out there. And I was trying to write as much as I possibly could. And this was an idea, like just another form to play in. Um, it I learned the hard way, like with podcasting, like, dude, it's, it's, it's really it hard looks. to write a joke in four panels that are the size of like your phone. Mm-hmm. And that was what the form, like what we wanted to do. And like, I, I read a lot. I learned a lot on like comic strip writing. I'm not great at it. It's, it's like super hard, but these characters, like they've grown. It's been fun. Like I, I wanted to use it as like, Hey, if I wanted to do any screenwriting or, or, um, comedy writing, like would this, uh, be, be transferable? Yeah. And I think it would, um, there's just so many elements to it. Like the physical piece of it, like what they look like, uh, their expressions just do. There's so much stuff that when you start having art incorporated with writing, it's, it's complicated. And I think it's gotten better over time, but there's still humbling moments with it for sure. It's still, uh, it was just a silly thing that I started doing. I like the characters. I think it's absurd a lot of times. And then, you know, not really politically correct a lot of the other times, but it's, it's been fun to play around with. Very cool. Um, do you remember your first joke or your first good joke that killed? Yeah, it was uh, what my podcast is like named after. Yeah. Well, so, like, how did you get the name of Fathom and Friends? Well, like my older brother growing up, he I was fat and he was skinny and he would call me Fathom. And uh. like I hated it. You know, it was like the word I just traumatized me. And uh I got older and he, he got fat and his name's Kyle. So everybody calls him a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, that was the first joke I ever wrote. And I, I definitely attribute like the mechanics of that to 
like taking that class with Corey Michaelis, like just understanding like, oh, this is joke structure, um, you know, set up punch. And there's there's way more layers to it, obviously. But yeah, it was it was the first like aha type moment I had with comedy. And I, I mean, I don't know how <laughs> how applicable the name is anymore, but yeah, it was just you got to start somewhere. Do you regret the name of your podcast? No, no, because no. uh, I think of it. A bystander is a fly on the wall, and the whole idea of having the podcast is introducing you to a conversation about with multiple people that you may not be privy to, and you can just be the fly on the wall and listen to it. And uh, by bi instead of by Bainbridge Island. And uh, I try to be pretty neutral. So basically, I'm bi. I could go either way, depending on your story, is how I kind of say it. <laughs> um, I got a fat joke I've been working up for about a year. Maybe you can help me with it. Okay. Um, okay. Um, before COVID, lots of my friends came out of the closet as gay. After COVID, I came out of the refrigerator as fat. Although I identify as being slender, so now I'm coming out as trans slender. Uh, <laughs> Fix that for me, will you? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> layers of, like, there's a way to do a joke like that for sure. But you got to understand, like, how to be funny. <laughs> I mean, it's just like people, how you, how you're perceived. I mean, you're a white dude going up there and you're making jokes about things that like people initially aren't going to see you as a part of that category and that you're shitting on that category. Uh. That might not even be what you're trying to do. But it's sort of like, yeah, you go you go to open mics and you learn like, oh, yeah, so I don't want to be looked at as an asshole. Um, but there's still like if there's something really funny that you want to say about that, there's a way to do it for sure. Um, I don't know. Like, did you actually I can't see you right. Did you get fat during the. <laughs> yeah. So you either get pregnant puppy or fat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm just swinging at pitches, you know, I have no, <laughs> no, uh, intent of hitting the ball out of the park, but, uh, I, I felt like there's something in that joke. I just don't know how to tell it. No, no. I mean, like, how do you feel about getting fat? Uh, like I do old, <laughs> it's just not my thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like, I think. I'm trying to work through the joke with you right now. Like I think when you, you you obviously had like a feeling about this thing, like you're either like COVID funny, knocked down the gyms, you know, and that was a lifestyle. I was always out playing soccer on the weekends, running around and that, that got crushed for two years. Um, But is there anything like that's kind of nice about being fat? Like you, like you, you, you don't have to care about stuff as much anymore. Like you, well, my pants size switched to elastic for real. <laughs> I don't wear pants. I wear sweats all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. Occasionally so, I wear I mean, a suit out. But, um, 
yeah, I am. I guess I not that broken up about being fat, and uh, I've never been slender. And, so you've uh, you're like gaining more. The fatness has helped you become more confident and yeah, warm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something funny there. Uh, like, I, I think whenever you you have like a joke come to you or whatever, it's it's like this weird sort of sensation or whatever and you don't know what to do with it and like really dialing in what what's going on with you because i dude i don't i don't know you but i don't think you really like have a strong stance based on this conversation on the trans community (laughs) like (laughs) like like i had a joke when i started about trans and trans fat and i thought it was like oh yeah this joke is like I, i i just I like trans people. I'm friends with them. I uh, am happy they're in my life. Uh, I could make jokes about that. It's not um, something that like right now is really speaking to me. But to me, what's funnier is like you got fat during the pandemic. You're either insecure about it or uh, you care about it enough to talk about it. So there's something you want to say. And it's figuring out like what is it inside of you that you're trying to say. I also think uh, it mostly lays in people always are coming out and have to make an announcement about something. Like, (laughs) I am leaving Facebook. Like, (laughs) just go. You don't need to announce it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, there's a lot of that. I had a sponsor about that. Yeah? Yeah. Tell uh, me. Like the, uh, what the fuck, what was it called? It was taking a break from social media and it was, we did it like with a uh, old medieval music and it was uh, like a, one of those guys, like the soapbox guys where he's like, attention all I've an announcement. That's a grave public concern. And it was just <laughs> like, I'm, I've decided to take pause from all media that is social. <laughs> My mental health is in a perilous state, and I believe that social media is to blame. As a result, it's necessary for me to break away and look in, not out. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it just ends with, uh, please do not unfollow me. (laughs) (laughs) I butchered some of it, but I'll send it to you. it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that is fun. Um, how did you get the intro music from Travis Thompson? Um, I'm a big fan of his. I first came across him with Macklemore and Corner Store. And then uh, he's just got a, a, a special way. You know? Dude, Travis, uh, he's great. I saw him live at the Fisherman's Festival in Everett like four or five years ago. And uh, he actually performed the music that's in our intro song with Paris Alexa at that show. And I like, it was the first time I heard that song. I was like, fuck, that song is so good. And my producer used to do music and he was like hooked up with Travis's people. So he reached out and just said like, Hey, is this okay if we use this? And he was cool with it. I'm working on getting him on the pod. I like, it's a, I'm sure, you know, like when you're booking, higher profile people it's just like 
they got busy schedules and stuff they got to do. But dude, his music, him and Tyler Dobbs, I want to get both of them on. Tyler produced Macklemore's Gemini album and then like Travis's most recent stuff. And that that song, uh, Crossfaded, I don't know if you've heard that one yet. Don't think so. But it's, it's some of my favorite music. Another guy, uh, Sam Shoemaker, I just got turned on to. Um, you should check him out. He's got some really good, like he's a local guy and there's just great music in this region. Like Seattle breeds a certain type of music and, and art that is, it's definitely our own. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Actually. Uh, I worked at Garfield for a long time and the music program there was just off the charts. Great. Yeah. Jazz, hip hop, all that's good stuff. And the sports at Garfield, dude, like, didn't, yeah. isn't that where, uh, Brandon Roy played. Yep. I tried to get him goalie, play, have him play goalie for the soccer team. Really? Yeah. How'd that work out for you? Yeah, he wasn't too into it. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he was probably pretty busy. <laughs> On that team, too, uh, five players in Brandon Roy's class went to University of Washington altogether to play for the Huskies. And really? Yeah. Uh, and then um, Isaiah Stanback, the the fifth starter on Garfield that year, he went on to be the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Really? Yeah. So, so it's the, Garfield and Rainier Beach are the two. Franklin, too. And Franklin. Yeah. Seattle's just got good hoops. Yeah. Jason Terry. Um, out there. Isaiah. I mean, I guess he's more of a Tacoma guy, right? Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Um, what's his, the guy that lost to Jake Paul? Nate. Um Oh, Nate Robinson. Yeah. 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 He was, his dad played for UW, Jacques Robinson. I remember him as a kid. He was a, I believe he was a linebacker, tough guy. And then Nate, um, was there. And then, um, uh, geez, who was this kid at Frank? Obviously, uh, there's a Houston Rockets guard. Jamal. Yeah. And then Jamal Crawford. And now we're just like, <laughs> we're reaching but there's been I'm a lot trying of to think of like have you ever gone to the crossover the like pro-am no but i've gone to a ton of garfield games and might as well be the same some yeah. days oh and uh, you go check you should check that out it's uh it's a lot of fun zach levine um by the high school jante Mur- murray like jamal crawford brings in like he brought in lebron last year yeah he's crazy like they're playing at Seattle Pacific University and LeBron James. I mean, he couldn't play because the, the floor was wet, but yeah, it was wild. Do you think they're getting another team? Uh, let me answer that after I say one thing. At SPU, it used to be the green and gold game for um, the rookies on the Sonics playing the veterans. And uh, used to go to that because it was free. It was always a packed house, and that was a lot of fun, sitting right behind the bench, screaming and yelling at him. I think we deserve the Supersonics so badly. We were done so wrong. Um, I think Chris Hansen was kind of done wrong, too, uh, when he bought all the property down in Soto and wanted to put together uh, a venue. But I have Dude, heard... Always, that was, where did that guy get his money? Hedge fund. You used to play yeah, soccer man, too. I, that to me, that guy always it seemed shady. 
like maybe I'm completely wrong, but it just there was something about that that just seemed like that's so much money to just throw around like that. And I yeah. get it that like NBA teams like they're there's no way that you're going to lose money on an NBA team. Right. Like there's only 30 of them. They just keep going up in value. I mean, do you remember the Kings were like valued at like $450 million or something? Yeah. Now you can't buy a team for less than 2 billion. Yeah. They're in Sacramento. Like it's that team has been like what it's been since the 2002 playoffs with like when they played Shaq since they've really been relevant. Mm Mm-hmm. So crazy, like $2 billion for an irrelevant sports team just because they are in that league. And I mean, they, this whole stadium thing has to be like it was going to be Vegas and then Seattle for NBA teams. Well, two, two teams will come this next expansion. There's two obvious spots in Las Vegas and Seattle, but now I've heard a third city is in the mix. And it might take it away from Seattle. No, no. What? What's the other city? Mexico City. They haven't been doing as many games down there, though. No, I think it's a wrong move. I mean, we we have a huge sports demographic. We have a professional hockey team, football team, soccer team. We have two professional soccer teams. You know, we have a WNBA team. You know, I just we're probably the I only know. city that has a WNBA team without an NBA team. I've been following the the group that like because I, I almost worked in sports management. Um, I went to law school and I was going to be an agent prior to whatever my life has turned into. But um, <laughs> what I has was, your life turned into? <laughs> it's just all over the place, but. I I was really dialed into sports for a while and like the Chris Hansen, all that, that shit. Like that was when I was in law school and I just, the, the group of guys that made this move, the, I think it's Oak Oak view, the, the group that like put the stadium deal together for the NHL. It's the lie wikis. And those dudes have worked in sports business for so long, like Toronto, mm-hmm. Denver, um, Tim and Todd, like they, they were at the wild when I lived in Minnesota, they've started teams. They got the Stanley cup at Tampa. Uh, at least Todd did like they wouldn't have made this move if that wasn't, I mean, just to have an NHL team that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I think the moves have been made, uh, pledge arena or whatever they call it. Climate pledge. Um, have you been? Yeah. See Macklemore recently there i but didn't what's the like what's the demographic at a, a macklemore concert uh, there's a little bit of everything um i'm not a hater on ben at all um you know i, I remember him from the early days uh, professor macklemore and uh all that good stuff and i've watched him rise and you know seen him be kind to people i've seen him go through struggles i've seen him be very inclusive to other artists I think his, you know, I saw him go through the, he's not a rapper, you know, but he is an entertainer and his music is fun, lively and upbeat. And I blast it still. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud, you know, I'm, 
I have no shame in my game. I, I listen to a lot of old stuff and new stuff, but uh, he definitely has a soft spot for me. You know, I support everything 206. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I went and saw him in 2012 at uh, Soto. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, what's that song? Hold Your Head Up? Mm-hmm. That, like, he played that live. He played uh, the song with Buffalo Madonna. That was fucking really good. I mean, I I liked Macklemore before it became what it became. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it was just a cool thing. I mean, it, it, he was playing what the Capitol Hill Block Party, and like he was, yeah, he was like Seattle's guy before any of this shit. I mean, I think he's sort of what Travis is right now, a little bit for a period of time. Um, I don't know who has more upside. I think as a rapper, Travis is probably more talented, but Macklemore was like more mar- marketable. Do you know uh, Sam Latchow? Uh-uh. Uh, he's a really good Seattle rapper. Came out at the same time as uh, Ben did. Um, yeah, there's from Garfield there's as well. Good music here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think the performance that sealed it for me, although I did see him at the Piaup Fair one time too. Uh, was Willy Wonka, and he propelled in a Willy Wonka purple top top hat from the ceiling. A climate pledge. He came down on this rope, and then was just up in the audience, seat to seat, just screaming a song. And it was just, I don't know. Are you familiar with that song at all, Willy Wonka? No. Oh, I didn't even know what you were talking about right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he came out, you know, doing the whole chocolate factory. He's got a jam called Willy Wonka and it this it, is Macklemore? Yeah, it hits hard. He's done okay. stuff with Marshawn too. Uh <laughs> he's he's all Seattle, so I'm I'm down with that. Yeah, man. I I'm like I'm not a hater. I I think like just when somebody gets super popular after I like was into them early on, it's That's, just natural to hate. Really like <laughs> but it's not it's never been like I haven't ever had an issue with his music and stuff. I mean, I guess there was that one song he had where people like the privilege song and people lost. Oh yeah. That was was kind of poor. I, I didn't even listen to the song, so I don't have a take on it, but But, uh, I'm just, let me, I'll be on the right side of whatever that is. Let's just say that. (laughs) Well, just know that I'm supposed to be on (laughs) (laughs) Um, thrift shop. I'm on the side of thrift, thrift shop because that um, taught my child that you didn't need new clothes, that you go thrift shopping and be cool. And he's still, yeah. that's his favorite thing to do is hunt in Goodwill, no matter what city we're in and where we're at. Hey, can we just swing through Goodwill? We find some. I met the dude stuff. that wrote the hook for that song. Mm. I, I can't remember his name, but interesting guy. Like he was, <laughs> I, he, he was like grappling with his success with that song like he's like yeah i wrote a good hook and that's been my career now like, that's, <laughs> all, that's all i have just play the hits so what's what's up for you in the new year here um doing the road a lot like when when should this episode be coming out tuesday probably this tuesday yeah man i hope you edit some of this out because Dude, no chance. I no chance. Feel like I went on a weird soapbox a couple times. It just like 
get my my mind is all scattered. Uh, the number one thing, like in the next year, that I'm working on is the podcast. So just booking the best talent that I can, get some really cool guests come on. So anybody watching, uh, we are on YouTube, Fatim and Friends Podcast, and we have a Patreon too. If you want to support us, you don't have to, but it's patreon.com slash FNF pod. And then in the next month, I'm going to be, uh, let's see, I'm at Aberdeen on the 6th um, at Parkway Tavern for my buddy's like anniversary show and i'm in olympia on one seven two mile pub let's see i am in puyallup on the seven on the 18th top gun bar and grill and just just go to uh, adamtillercomedy.com and those will be all my dates and stuff and i i'll be around i'll be working uh doing some club stuff it kind of have a fluid schedule but on instagram at a till 55 search me adam tiller i pin my schedule on there and um would love to see you come out uh support stand up buy a shirt if you can i got some merch that i'm pushing and yeah man it's uh it's been fun talking with you yeah i'm looking forward to staying connected with you and coming out and supporting you on one of your shows that i can make and continuing to follow you on social media and listen to what i think is a a very good podcast yeah, hopefully uh, we'll get Travis on. I'll I'll give you guys a plug on on my end too. We'll, my graphics guy will put something together, and if you got a good picture you want me to use, like just get as many people to see it and do some cross promotion. But I uh, yeah, I've been a little scattered today, so if that's the case, I apologize. But thanks for having me on, man. It was a lot of fun, and and uh, I appreciate what you're doing and supporting art, and you know, it's we talked about like the, the craziness of this thing, like doing what you're doing is very important. Like, even if there's not a dollar sign attached to it, like I, it, I think it's important for other artists to like tell one another that and like, just keep doing this shit. It's important. Thank you for saying that. I really feel that way too. Um, Citizen journalism, although I don't think of myself as a journalist in any way, nor do I fact check anything. Um, I think it's important to have an extended conversation to really get to know people in our community and around our community and what they're up to and introduce cool people to other cool people listening. All right, Adam Tiller, I'm going to take us out with a little, uh, Stilo gelato and I will, uh, check you out very shortly. All right, brother. Sounds good. Be good. Take care. Nine to five, so my bills getting paid. Money been the mission, yet I need real estate. Pull up roof, missing on the whip, like wait. Rolling up gelato, smoking on gelato. West Coast love be the motto. Colder than gelato, toasted from the bottle. West Coast love be the motto. Rolling down the block with a smile, throw a middle finger to the sky. I don't want to 
wanna count my days. I just want the crowd going crazy. Go crazy. Like I'm the Bido, singing and I'm counting up my C notes. I'm sipping Bino, blowing we smoke. Skipping steps, I got the cheat codes. I hit the switch and never look back like 3 0. I got the Stilo. On the whip, like wait, rolling up gelato, smoking on gelato. West Coast love be the motto, colder than gelato, toasting from the bottle. West Coast love be the motto. You can feel the rhythm when we slide through. I've been on the mission with the mic too. Give me something you can listen, you can vibe to. Cruising through the city when the sky's blue, got me feeling like no. I got gelato in the wooden, felt like stopping, but I couldn't. It's a good day when we cooking. It's sunny LA, yeah, there ain't no other place. It's is it good if I close out here? <laughs> you talking over the music, bro. <laughs> We're going to have to do it all over. West Coast love. Adam Till. Er, in the house. Yes. It's oh, man, I was just there. <laughs> it was, I, was, I, I just didn't want to cut it short. It's all right. Life's good. 